Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is Jason Cave, Deputy Director at the FHFA, to talk about mortgage innovation and fintech. Jason has worked in housing for several decades, including as a bank examiner and other roles at the FDIC, and as a senior advisor and deputy director of risk monitoring at the Office of Complex Financial Institutions. Today, he is spearheading the FHFA's fintech office and their upcoming tech sprint. We have a lot to talk about, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM, about PA+. Melinda, what is PA+, and why did UWM decide to roll this out? PA Plus is a new service for us to help loan officers with processing an entire loan. So it takes a lot of time to gather documents, to review them closely. And what we do is uh, we look at initial disclosures. We get uh, documents from the borrower, both up front and then anything that comes in after the underwriter. We take the loan all the way through closing, schedule that closing date and get docs out to the borrower and see the entire thing all the way through. So we're excited. It's a great way to help our brokers scale and uh, focus on the things that they do, like growing their business and getting leads and bring in new customers while we take care of the back end of things. Thank you, Melinda. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Sarah. Great to have you. Now, we are here at the Mortgage Innovators Conference here in Irvine, California. Oh, no, Anaheim. I, You know, people are really picky. I would say L.A., and then everyone would just be mad at me, like, no, Anaheim is not L.A. or Irvine or whatever. Uh, but it's been a great conference, and I'm really excited to talk to you and talk about the initiatives that FHFA has around fintech. So I wanted to start off by asking you a little bit about your background. How did you get to be where you are at FHFA? Well, great. Well, it's uh, it's been a, uh, a long road. I'm actually, uh, next month, I'll be celebrating 30 years in the government. I spent 27 of that at, at the FDIC. I did a, a variety of, uh, of jobs. Uh, I worked for Sandra Thompson, who is the head of FHFA uh, for several years at FDIC. And uh, she told me about some great opportunities over at, at this agency and uh, decided to make a change. And uh, it's been a very interesting two and a half years since I've been here. So why fintech? You know, why now? Why fintech? And, and what's really your focus there? Sure. Well, what we found was that we were a laggard uh, in getting into the fintech and innovation uh functions. Uh, most other agencies uh, had already uh, stood up offices and uh, Sandra had asked me to look into what others were doing, whether they thought the uh, efforts were worthwhile and whether we should also uh, set up an office. So spent some time with the SEC and CFTC, the other agencies, and uh, I got a resounding positive response that the uh, being able to go deep into technology and to see where their regulated entities were using it to their advantages, where there were vulnerabilities and challenges to help policymakers uh, better understand these tools uh, was a big value add. And so we decided to uh, to launch an office last uh, last July. 
uh, and it's been uh, a very busy year. Oh, I say. bet. This is a, a very busy time. So tell me where you started. I mean, you know, the, the only way to eat yep. an elephant is one bite at a time. So what does that look like? So we started, uh, as a lot of things in Washington, we started with a white paper in July. So when we announced the office, we also issued a request uh, for comment uh, that laid out uh, what we were hoping to achieve in this space but also, uh, we asked a lot of questions for the uh, to get industry and other mortgage uh, participants' engagement on where are the particular areas where they think we should focus. We had some basic ideas. We had seen that the mortgage process, uh, while innovation had been in the mortgage space for over 10 years, it did not seem like it was really taking root. Uh, mortgage costs doubled in 10 years. Uh, cycle times had been flat, hadn't really shown any improvement. So at a high level, it didn't look as if innovation was making uh, major inroads for efficiency. So we really started with that to say, why? And what can we do about it? And where are some areas where we should particularly focus our attention? So we uh, we did that and uh, received a lot of good uh, feedback, concrete feedback uh, which really helped us set our agenda for 2023. And I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So what are those areas that you felt like here, here are the things we're going to focus on, which set then set the agenda? Yeah. So we received a lot of feedback about uh, how to use the tools and programs that had already been offered by Fannie and Freddie that we're not really getting uh, sufficient take up and adoption. And people said, you know, start with some of those like day one certainty and aim before we get into some of the broader things like be blockchain and some of those, let's start with some of the things that are uh, already out there. Uh, a lot of people gave some feedback as to why they thought the adoption was uh, on the lower side, where they saw uh, challenges, obstacles, bottlenecks, and, uh, and we really looked at that and in talking with uh, Fannie and Freddie said, well, why don't we start here? Let's see if there's areas where we can all kind of come together with a wide group of industry participants and really get everybody together to say, you know, what are some of the things that we can do together to, to make these processes work better? A lot of money and time were put into these and uh, it seems like a good area to be able to uh, to try to make some improvements. So, you know, day one certainty, I remember when that was launched and just the excitement around that and the um, sort of fanfare, right? And it, it does seem like it could be a game changer. So when you were doing this, as you're listening to people, why do you think that that hasn't been more adopted? Well, you know, you hear, uh, you know, one of the things is when you have bilateral discussions uh, as we've been having, with different participants, you get a, a, a view of their particular uh, window of where they see things um, not working very well. And so, you know, we, we've had a lot of those discussions uh, at everybody in the value chain, the lenders, uh, some of the data aggregators, fintech providers, all the different parties. And one of the things we said is that this is helpful but it seems like we need to get some something that really brings everyone together and really uh, uh, gets everybody sort of in the room together, working together uh, to make sure that we get the full story. 
And that's how we kind of launched this, this concept of the uh, tech sprint, which we are going to be uh, doing July uh, 10th to the 13th. Uh, it's really going to focus very much on the data challenges, uh, day one certainty and the like. And then, you know, making sure that if we're going to make some inroads on alternative data, such as cash flow underwriting, we know that we need to really make sure we have the main rails uh, in place. So we're uh, really going to focus on that issue, uh, direct source data. Uh, you know, being able for uh, for Fannie and Freddie and borrowers, the the efficiencies of actually just being able to work off the actual document versus having borrowers rifling through papers and hopefully getting everything they need or downloading or uploading. I mean, there's so many issues with that. It's time consuming. It's not very secure. Uh, sometimes documents don't include all of the key information. So there's really nothing quite like the source document. So we really want to say, you know, how do we get to a place where that's almost, that's the main option. And uh, right now it's not. Right now, uh, you know, depending on the different studies, uh, take-up levels are far below 50%. And it seems as if uh, this is something that we could all do better on. So, um, you know, we really want to get everyone together. Uh, we think having like the, the tech sprint, we think is a very interesting format. And we've been working with uh, uh, Joanne Barefoot and the Alliance for Innovative Regulation. They've helped us put this together. Um, I've talked about it at many, many conferences and everybody nods their head to say, this is a good idea. And I think the numbers show it. Uh, we have uh, 123 people put in to participate. Uh, we're having to winnow that down a bit to 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 make sure this is a workable uh, number. But that's a uh, response is much more than what we thought. We've got 90 people just signed up to observe, and that number is growing as well. Uh, the participants uh, include fintechs. We have a lot of lenders, which is going to be key, uh, data providers. Uh, we've got a great lineup of speakers. Uh, we've got great judges. In fact, uh, David Coleman uh, from MISMO will be a judge. Uh, Faith Schwartz is a judge. We've got a few others as well. We have John Hope Bryant uh, and, uh, and Lisa Rice are going to be keynote speakers. So, uh, and, and just uh, a whole handful of people that uh, everybody in the mortgage uh, business uh, has worked with. We're going to have uh, venture capital, uh, so people from all different aspects. Uh, there's a Delisha Hand, and I'm not sure if you've had her on, but she uh, is at Consumer Reports and has come up with an entirely new uh, financial fairness scoring that they're doing in Consumer Reports, which is very interesting. Uh, you know, really putting some of those tools through the, the the process that Consumer Reports uses. So she's going to be speaking at the event. I think that's going to be very interesting. So. You know, I think it's going to be great, uh, but we need to make sure it's not just a great meeting where a lot of interesting people come together. What we're really focusing on now is what are we really expecting to get out of it? What are some concrete uh, steps and areas that we could work with uh, Fannie and Freddie and all the other participants to really say, we've come up with 10 concrete ideas. Three of these can be done in a short amount of time in a bilateral manner. Three more are going to take more time because we're going to need to bring additional people in. And then there's a couple that are really long-term. 
but to be able to tranche those out and really make uh, a clear progress, a roadmap, so to speak, uh, is going to be uh, really first and foremost for us. Well, this is exciting when you just think about um, this sounds like something a tech company would do. Obviously, you're calling it a tech sprint for that reason. But, you know, just the idea of government looking, uh, some part of the government looking at something and saying, instead of starting completely new, why don't we optimize what we already have? Right. I mean, uh, let's look at why the uptake isn't better here. Let's figure it out. And, you know, I, I don't know. That just seems refreshing to me The even the angle you guys are taking on this instead of just like, OK, let's go out, you know, out far afield. But let's let's do the things that you already spent all this time and money on, as you said, and that could really make a difference if it was if it was more adopted. Yeah. And, you know, Sarah, one of the things uh, uh, Freddie Mac uh, put out some studies a couple of years ago. Uh, that were very good that show that those firms that invest in the technology are reaping the benefits. I mean, they have uh, some some uh, uh, very good uh, uh, data out there that show that the top 25, you know, tech forward uh, sellers are are saving 30 to 40 percent on closing costs versus the average. I mean, these are real numbers. So what was one of the other reason we said, you know, this is these numbers that are increasing are not across the board. It's not everyone. So that also gave us the idea that these tools, if they could be used uh, on a wider scale, could really uh, 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 reap uh, larger benefits for everyone. So those Freddie studies were, uh, were were particularly interesting. Yeah, and illuminating, right? Yeah. Um, because I think one of the questions people have within and without the mortgage industry is like, when we ha have all this great tech, why is it still so expensive to originate a loan? Now we know like, you know, the cost to originate when you have so so much less volume, that's going to be right. part of that. But even before that, you just go, it's not like we cut the cost in half. It's not like we cut the cost in, right. you know, three quarters. It just keeps going up. So, you know, I would think that that would also be one of the things you guys have to be looking at. Right. It, it is. And, and it's not just from a standpoint. So you raise the point. We're not looking at innovation just for innovation's sake. I mean, there is a, 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 a need here, uh, you know. The increased costs just add to the affordability challenges. They uh, they have an impact on access, uh, and uh, and so again, this is uh, you know I think we saw how many people were shut out during a historically low interest rate environment because of a twelve thousand dollar upfront bill that that they couldn't pay. I mean that's a that's a real issue. And it, and it clearly, uh, it affected a lot of people that missed out, quite honestly. And so there's not much we can do about that, but we can position ourselves for the next refinance wave so that we could, uh, we can be in a better place and, uh, and really, uh, and, and help people, those that are really, uh, you know, struggling. So. So you've talked about how um, you want to help, you know, lenders and everybody in the industry, you know, take up the the technology that's already there. What about the fintech companies themselves? So the, you know, not not your internal things, but but what's out there? What do you see there that you think is less utilized, or or what surprised you there? Well, I think what what uh, what surprised me in talking to a lot of these companies were the uh, the fact that they would pitch lenders and, and even get in the door with some of their products. But the, uh, the take up throughout the organizations was limited. 
And what surprised me, I guess as an old regulator, you know, when the boss tells you we're going to do something a certain way, like we're going to have a new, we could put a new time and attendance system in at FHFA. It wasn't optional, you know. <laughs> I, it wasn't like I could say I'm going to stick with the old one if I wanted to get paid. I had to take the time, the training to use a new one. Somebody said this is a better way to do it. Well, that's doesn't seem like that's exactly how things work in the lending business. In fact, you know, it's it's uh, and so what surprised me was, you know, you could have because you would ask. I'd say, well, are you, you know, like, are you, you know, talking to some major tech uh, providers that are offering some amazing products? And I said, well, and they say, well, we're at all these companies. And I go, well, what's happening? it didn't make sense. I'm like, well, if you're at all these lenders or you're, they're using your service. And they said, well, we're there, but we can't mandate that everyone use it. And that's where there's, there's issues. So, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but that was one that, that, that surprised me. The other is this, you know, uh, the tech stack optimization. And a lot of people talk about it that, you know, what happens sometimes is a a new product is introduced and uh, that actually increases the time and cost because the integration is is not done very well. And so, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, how to make this process more optimized and harmonized so that it's not just another solution. I think that also creates frustrations. And so learned a lot. And one of the other things, and, and this is going to be sort of the next field of study for uh, our office, is you hear a lot about uh, AI and ML and it seems like when we go to these conferences, there's a lot of companies that that are offering things. And so, you know, one of the things that we want to really do is is better understand that space. And let me stop there. You might have some questions on some of that. No. So uh, the first thing I wanted to say was I had the exact same reaction. So one of the, one of the things I did when I first got to Housing Wire ten years ago is I, I wrote a lot of our white papers, and so I would talk to these tech companies about their solutions and and uh, write those out and and kind of understand those. And and I would again I'd be like, well, I don't understand why people aren't doing this. But you know that whole the whole way things are organized around top producers. If the top producers don't want to do it, they don't do it. And it's just, wow. Now that's not at every company. Sure. You know, there, there are lots of companies that have the kind of culture that's like, yeah, you don't get to opt out. But I do think that that was really interesting. And you're not the only person like from outside the industry that goes, wait a minute, <laughs> how does this work exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And on the AI and ML front, you know, I, was, I, I talk about this all the time on this podcast is that, you know, it's not like we haven't had AI and ML for years right. and in the mortgage industry behind the scenes. But I think it just sort of hit the mainstream and and became available to individuals just even really in 2023. Right. Yeah. In a new way. And so you have people who are excited about it. You have people who are seeing more. um you know, use cases for it. And then you also have some potential for, for trouble, right? If, if you have more individuals using something that used to be like, okay, well, we're going to trust, you know, this is very well thought out in an operation sense with engineers, with policies and procedures. And now you kind of have people who are like, oh, I can use this for marketing and, oh, I can do this for emails and all of these yeah. kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, Look, it's it's an area, it's going to be the next, like I said, area we're going to be focusing on because I think ChatGBT has has all of a sudden put this, like you had said, AI, ML, particularly ML. It's been around for a while. 
Uh, but I think it's really put a lot of this into, into, into a real focus area. And what does it all mean? Large language models and all of that. One of the things that we're going to do first is, is really understand, you know, uh, terminology is important in this space. And I think a lot of times these things get tossed together, AI, ML. Well, the, AI and ML right there, there there's, a, there's a lot of differences. That covers a big waterfront. That covers things that have been done for 10 years, as well as the generative AI that is really new. And so what we want to really do is break these things apart, really understand the evolution. You know, you know, a lot of this that gets talked about as AI is nothing more than predictive models that have been around for 30 years. So we want to make sure that we peel the, the, the layers back. And, uh, and we think that by doing that, we'll have a better understanding of where there's some, some value. Um, and so, uh, we want to uh, better understand the current state of things. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, reading a lot beyond just the mortgage business, but AI uh, use cases in general. And you hear a lot about companies saying how, you know, the first thing they do is really work on these things internally before they start to bring bring this into external facing or regulatory processes. And I think that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things we really understand is really, again, the evolution, the classification, and then also, you know, uh, working with the enterprises and the banks and others to really sense of where do we see some of this um, potentially having some benefits internally. And then over time, you know, what is like the plan to potentially bring some of this into some of the other uh, uh, key models and things that drive the enterprises. I mean, my, my sense of this is we do need to be balanced. Uh, some of it, especially the uh, generative AI, the ability for the models to change some of the rules. And that's the thing that I focus on. You know, what's the difference between generative AI and some of the basic ML, you know, is that these models, as they learn, you know, they get trained and then they learn. They uh, have and, the, and for our listeners, yeah. he's uh, he's putting uh, quotes around trained yeah. and learned. <laughs> you know, they, the, which of these are very interesting topics, but I am told that uh, they can begin to change some of the rules as they see fit based on what they're learning. You know, for enterprises or anyone in this space, that's a that's a big deal. So before these things start to get launched, uh, a lot of testing and learning, parallel running. But I think we also have to understand it because if we put our heads in the sand and say, you know, this is too scary, you know, things are going to pass us by and we'll then have to catch up. And I'm always, as a regulator, I, I get more worried about that catch up because mm -hmm. period, because that's when people have to do things in a rush to compete. And that's generally when problems occur. If you can understand these things, take a lot of time, do again, Test and learn, sandboxes, things that are ring fenced from the organization, you know, really experiment to understand how these things work well before we put them in any sort of production. If we think that there's value, I think we're in a better place. It's when people feel then the need to catch up and rush. That's generally when problems occur. So we really want to avoid that. And we want to work with our regulated entities to make sure that they have good sound um, uh, governance controls and, and plans. So, 
So let me ask you this. So it sounds like this was sort of a um, top down, not in a bad way, but, you know, Sandra Thompson saying, hey, what about what about this? And are you guys doing that or whatever, as opposed to maybe Fannie and Freddie coming to you and saying right. this? But are they working on it on their own? Have they do they already have this sort of thing in there that you're working with? Yeah, so it's uh, an exactly uh, top down. But we uh, we work very closely with Fannie and Freddie, with the innovation teams. Uh, there's already a lot going on at the enterprises. And, you know, we work both with them and with our policy and examination teams at FHFA. You know, kind of your job in the, in the fintech office is to be a, a clearinghouse, a source of information, making sure that everybody, uh, both within the agency and the enterprises, are aware of the of the different things that are going on, making sure we're being consistent with how we look at some of these uh, innovations. But yeah, we have uh, great partnerships with them. And I think with the AIML, we'd like to also um, work a lot more closely with the FHLB banks. You know, they are one of, uh, a key part of, uh, of our regulatory uh, 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 system. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be very... Uh, very good to get them engaged on some of this as well. When you look at the mortgage process, so, you know, where technology started being used and, and where it's gotten to, right? I think we, we saw it happen first on the consumer facing side, which makes all the sense in the world, right? You have consumers who are, their expectation has been set by Amazon and right. DoorDash and whatever. And so um, it makes sense that that's where some of this automation came in or technology came in. But what you found uh, in the first couple of years, and even sometimes now I, I uh, bought a house last year where I did this whole online app. And then um, the next step was to call a loan officer who, who walked me through all of those things manually. And I was like, why did I just waste 25 minutes doing this on the app? Um, so even now, sometimes when you scratch the surface, this automation or tech isn't quite there, but, um, you know, we've seen it go from there to, you know, to other things, to the back office, to the operations, to, in your opinion, is there one thing that, you know, um, you see really would make a big difference, whether that's, you know, um, verification, you know, uh, of the borrower's assets or income, things like that, or the credit scoring, or maybe it's on the closing side. Like when you look at the whole process, what part stands out to you that, that maybe still needs the most work? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and I think again, this, the direct source, uh, data piece, the reason why we're, we're focusing on that first, because a, it's the beginning of the process. And my view is like, we should, we should really try to get that right. Um, I think. A lot of people will say uh, at conferences, they'll talk about e-close and things, and they'll say, oh, there's a lot of challenges there. Uh, we've, we've solved the upfront pieces. Now we have to solve that. And I'll have to say, well, actually, we haven't solved the upfront piece. You know? And so there's a, a sense that you know, that's all been taken care of. I think the numbers that we've seen, and Mismo's put out some good numbers on this, is that, no, the the verification of income assets employment uh you know the using the uh direct source tools uh participation is low which is why again we're going to focus on that but why i keep going back to that is you know we have a better chance of getting to a fully digitalized mortgage process if we start there if we're starting with paper and pdfs and things you know i think that makes it much more difficult to to move the process fully digital. And I think it just slows things down there. So that's why we, we continue to say, we really want to make a, a real effort here. 
you know, we should be at a place where where more than 50% of borrowers can be going through some of the services that that uh, that safely. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of advancements have been made with the APIs and moving away from some of the concerns with screen scraping. Uh, we should be able to uh, really make that process easy for borrowers. Um, I do think one of the things part of our, our tech sprint, we do want to talk about, you know, borrower um, transparency, confidence with these tools, making sure that, you know, we're not also getting ahead of the borrowers. So you're, you're right. People are much more tech savvy, but are we making sure they understand when some firm's name pops up to say, put in your login information, that they're aware of that, that they understand what's going to happen? Uh, you know, that's one of the things too at the, at the tech sprint. We want to make sure that, uh, that, that the, the consumer is brought along and they sort of know how their information is going to be used. Uh, because that might also be a reason why we're not getting the take of the, the, the borrowers are like, we don't give away that information. So we want to make sure we, uh, we don't get ahead of them and that we make sure we address those things as well. I think that's interesting. And then when you think about the verification part, that is also, you know, you're killing two birds with one stone there because not only are you making it a better experience for them, but you're making it safer for the loan. Like at the end of the day, then, you know, the more that you can get this automated and and tech, then the less fraud you're going to have. And we have seen that fraud really tick up this year with, um, you know, uh, Land, vacant lots yeah. and, and land, you, you know, buying land and things like that. And so if you can verify it through these known sources, don't you, don't you cut that out? Yeah. And yes. And, you know, Fannie and Freddie do give rep and warrant relief for using those tools. And as you know, from some of your recent shows, uh, the, the buyback challenges uh, and concerns are, are growing. And, you know, in my view, that seems like this was a, a good time then to, have greater uh, usage of these tools. This is an opportunity where people could really say, I, I, I see where the value is in going this route. Now, uh, how do we get there? You know, that's really the issue. How do we get there? You know, I throw out these numbers. I don't know. There's nothing magic about 50%, but we're far, le- we're far south of that number. So what would, it, what would it take to get something along the lines where 50% of, uh, of borrowers that come in the door are going through the uh, the day one certainty aim channels, and what would that do to to the efficiency and the costs? Got to get a better sense of that. Uh, Fifty might not be a magic number. Maybe it should be seventy. I don't know, but it, it should be far higher than the 25, uh, 20, 25 that that people are seeing. So, in your opinion, are there a lot already a lot already available for lenders to take advantage of, or do you still see like? Why aren't we, why don't I see a solution for X, Y, or Z or what, you know, what does it look like from your vantage point? I mean, I, I see, you know, when you go to these conferences, there seems to be a lot of solutions. Uh, there's not even, uh, you know, not just on the bank, uh, bank account side, there's a lot of firms that are on the payroll. Uh, so there's no shortage of interesting companies uh, uh, some that are finding faster ways to get the tax information, which has, you know, so much in there. I mean, one of the things is there's, there's so many different companies going at it. Um, it might sometimes also get overwhelming It's to, to people. So really getting a sense of, you know, what are the basic things we need? 
what, uh, and, and how to get them uh, as direct as possible. Uh, I, I don't think there's a shortage of that. I think, uh, I think it's there. I think it's now harnessing that and then also having lenders and others really look at their internal processes to figure out how to best utilize this tech. I, I think there might be people sort of figuring, okay, I'll just use my existing processes and add the tech. And I don't know. That's what we're going to hopefully uh, spend some time at the tech sprint. And then after finding out that maybe that's not the way, maybe there, there needs to be some significant changes in the process to make the tech work better. So, you know, and we're seeing that with uh, that people I talk to that the workflow automation and the, and the whole like taking a step back because you referenced earlier that, you know, it's the tech stack integration with the other parts of the tech stack that can get really tricky to the point where I think you have some lenders who just have tech stack fatigue. They're like, sure. do not come to me with anything else until sure. I know how all this works together already. Right? right. And I think, right. And part of that, especially if you've been working in, in the, uh, in the back office and you've been having to implement new changes to systems and, and you haven't seen any improvements. I think that, you know, the tech burnout probably is like, Oh, here we go again. You know, if you see that, well, the last thing we adopted actually made my life easier. You might be more open to then the next thing, you know? And so uh, I think that's a factor as well. You know, people sort of saying, one more thing that's going to actually add to the amount of time and uh, and how do how do we how do we shift that mindset uh, how do we make these things work like they're supposed to well tell us a little bit more about the tech sprint when is it um how do people get involved or is it already you already have too many people involved? well you know when, uh, so unfortunately uh the uh well the date is uh July 10th to the 13th uh we uh, so the, the positive is this is all going to be uh, on online. So uh, people, in fact, the easiest thing to do is just type in Google or your browser. I shouldn't say Google. Uh, <laughs> uh, FHFA Tech Sprint. And what will pop up is a, a link for you to uh, sign on to. You could observe from your home. Uh, if you want to come to Washington, we're going to have uh, demo days and observer tracks. You're welcome to come down up to whatever capacity we have for the for the participants. We have that that closed on uh, May 31st, so uh, that's uh, but a lot of people I think have already signed up. We're going to have more of these too, but uh, there's definitely the opportunity still to uh, to just uh, sign on and and watch some of it and. Uh, like I said, we're uh, really excited. We've got a great group of speakers, a uh, great lineup of participants, very diverse group of participants, uh, great judges. Uh, now we need to come up with some great solutions. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next thing. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being on and talking to our audience about what you're doing. Really, really interesting. Thanks. Well, thank you, Sarah. Look forward to tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely. We're doing a panel tomorrow. I'm, I'm moderating a panel of some great speakers, including you, talking about this very topic. So thank you again. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.